One of the stages in the hero's quest is after they take the step of faith, they begin the next phase, which is called allies and enemies, where the hero begins to find who his true friends are. There are other people who've also stepped out on the, on the journey of faith, and he also begins to identify his enemies for the first time, the ones who oppose him. Welcome to Faith and Culture, a production of the Augustine Institute. Every week, we explore the glory of the Catholic faith and the beauty of Catholic culture. And now, here's the host of Faith and Culture, Joseph Pierce. Hello, I'm Joseph Pierce, and welcome to another Faith and Culture podcast with the Augustine Institute. And I'm delighted to have as my guest once again my good friend, Father Dwight Longenecker, who's a, a pastor, a speaker, blogger, podcaster, convert, and uh, last but hopefully not least, a very good friend of mine. Father Dwight, welcome back. Thank you. Well, um, we, we'd like to discuss today something I know you've written a lot on, you've spoken a lot on, I've, I've heard you speak, and I've read what you've written uh, about something which is known as the hero's quest. So let's make that the topic of today's conversation. What exactly is the hero's quest? Well, I'll start by saying how I got interested in this. When, when I left the Anglican Church in 1995, um, I was m married with a young family and didn't have any guarantee of being ordained as a Catholic priest, so I had to train for another career. Uh, and with my background in speech and English, I thought I'd train as a scriptwriter and, and write movies, because that's where you tell stories today, and I wanted to try that. Well, Getting a movie produced is like climbing Everest, okay? So, <laughs> but still, I learned an awful lot in, in, uh, in training to be a scriptwriter, and that led me to a work by a guy called Christopher Vogler, who was a story structure analyst at the Disney Studios, and he produced a little handbook for writers called The Writer's Journey, uh, which was based on the work of Joseph Campbell, who was uh, a mythologist, a self-taught academic and mythologist who studied stories all over the world in every culture, every ancient culture. And uh, he wrote a book called, a very influential book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And Joseph Campbell, um, who was actually brought up and raised as a Catholic, studied these stories from all over the world and came up with a, a model of, of a story structure or a template for a story, which he said was the essential story that uh, was kind of like one story to rule them all. And that this, this story uh, was present in all cultures, and it's basically the story of life, and it's the story of a hero who begins in his ordinary world and then launches out into a world of adventure to accomplish some great goal, to, to slay the dragon, to win the treasure, to, to, to woo the fair maiden, to save his people. He then comes back to his ordinary world uh, and with redemption, with sa salvation, bringing the boon, bringing the benefit back to his people. So there's a, a kind of cycle that goes in, and this is called the Hero's Quest, and um, it, it functions right through uh, all sorts of ancient cultures. Well, um, obviously we could talk about ancient cultures, but let's at least begin um, with modern culture. You know, if, the, if this is a template, as Joseph Campbell says, for, for story, in the broadest sense of the word, um, how do we see the Hero's Quest being present in modern culture? Well, uh, first of all, Tolkien, whom both of us love, he knew this instinctively. Uh, I doubt whether very much whether he knew of Joseph Campbell. Campbell was working in America, and of course, Tolkien ensconced in Oxford. 
they were roughly contemporaries. Tolkien a little bit older, I think, than than Campbell. But um, this story, uh, this hero's quest, was obviously known and understood by Tolkien at an instinctive level. He, from his study of myth, he he picked this up because the story of the Lord of the Rings and Frodo's journey. It follows the hero's quest absolutely, almost to a T. Uh, and the hero's quest, to talk about Tolkien, because a lot of our listeners will be familiar with it as well, illustrates the different stages. Now, I, I worked on this because I, I reformulated it for, in a, and simplified um, Campbell's work even further and, and put it into 10 stages. And I won't go through all 10 stages, but the first few are that the hero is in his ordinary world, the Shire. The Shire, which is a world of safety and security with friends and family. And he hears the call to adventure. Okay. Gandalf knocks on his door. Right. Okay. And the third the third step is he refuses the call to adventure. And Frodo says, I can't take the ring. I, you, you keep it. I don't want it. I, you take it away. I, can, I can't do this. Um, the fourth step is that the hero receives the encouragement and the help from the mentor that he needs. And Gandalf, therefore, helps him to do this. Says he'll go with him. And then the fifth step is that he steps across the threshold into the world of adventure. And we actually see this in the, in the Peter Jackson film. Frodo opens the door and steps across the threshold right. out of Bag End into, onto the path. Right. Um, and this actually, once you know this, you see it echoing through many, many films as well. I sometimes like to give the example of The Sound of Music, okay? Um, the Julie Andrews character, Maria, is in the convent, which is a safe, secure world. She hears the call to adventure to go and be a, 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 a governess for these children. She says, I can't do it. The mentor figure, the mother superior says, yes, you can climb every mountain, okay? <laughs> and then she literally goes through the gates of the convent right. and walks out into the brave new world uh, and goes on this great adventure. So story after story in many, many different ways in movies right. and in fiction follow this pattern, even when the author does doesn't know they're following the pattern. Right, right, right. The successful stories follow this pattern. And Star Wars was monumental in its change of popular culture because um, George Lucas also understood this. In fact, there's uh, some stories around that George Lucas actually was also very influenced by Tolkien as well as Joseph Campbell. He was friends with Joseph Campbell. Right. But also very influenced by Tolkien. And I read recently that uh, in an early version of the script for Star Wars, George Lucas had actually lifted some of Tolkien's dialogue and gave Gandalf's lines to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, wow. Okay, because Obi-Wan right. is the obviously me the mentor figure for right. the hero who is Luke Skywalker and so forth. Um, so th this hero's quest echoes down uh, into the all, an awful lot of modern literature. Now almost every movie is written by somebody who's read Joseph Campbell and understands the hero's quest. Okay, well, I you know I know the Lord of the Rings and I know the Hobbit, and I can see how that template works. Um, I must confess, and it is a confession, I've only watched um, Star Wars once, and that was at the behest and indeed the insistence of my wife, who I thought you know basically thinks <laughs> that you can't be a full a fully cultured person unless you've seen Star Wars. So it was after I got married, so well into my dotage that uh, I finally got around to watching. Star Wars, but I'm, I'm I'm sure that many, most of the people listening will know Star Wars was well. So, for my benefit, to to assuage my ignorance, and and for the benefit of of those out there that just want to know Star Wars, maybe on a on a deeper level, how would you explain, if you like, parallels between Star Wars and the archetypal hero's quest of Joseph Campbell, and perhaps the parallel story of the Lord of the Rings? 
Well, if you know Lord of the Rings, um, and you can see the parallels immediately, there's Frodo. And by the way, the orphan hero is a very important character. Frodo is an orphan adopted by his uncle living in the Shire. Luke Skywalker is an orphan adopted by his aunt and uncle living in the wilderness of the, the planet Tatooine. You can immediately come up with loads of other orphan heroes. There's Dorothy no, exactly. in The Wizard of Oz, you know, and loads of others. And what's the purpose of that? Just to, to gain the sympathy of, 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 of the person to whom the story is being told? I yeah, mean, the, the orphan hero immediately gains the sympathy of the audience, okay? Because right. everybody feels sorry for a lost child, okay? Right. Uh, but also, the orphan hero, and this is so important for the spirituality of this, the orphan hero is invariably on a quest to find his father and mother. Okay, and this is the quest for the father, which right. echoes through. Right. Um, and so parallels with, 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 with religion uh, and with the Christian religion are, are palpable. Absolutely. And, and when I'm doing retreats on this, I will actually use film clips and use the story and say, look, what I want you to do, I'll say to the retreatants, is I want you to come up with your favorite saint or your Bible character and tell me how they follow the hero's quest. Because invariably, this is the story of redemption. You... Leave your secure and safe world. Father Abraham leaves a safe and secure world of Ur of Chaldees, and here's the call to adventure. I will give you a promised land. And he sets out, and his people are nomadic people who are wandering and on the quest for home, the quest to find the Father. So, over and over again, St. Peter is in a secure world of Capernaum as a fisherman with a fisherman's business, and Jesus comes along and says, follow me. Leave all of that and come on this quest of this, this world of adventure. Come on this quest for, to find the true treasure, the true kingdom. And um, any of the saints also go on this same uh, quest, hero's quest. And my point in some of the books that I've written and some of the retreat work that I do is to say, look, this is the life of faith. You also, if you're going to have faith, have got to step out of your ordinary world, your comfort zone. Um, you've got to go on this adventure. You won't want to. It'll be threatening, but there are plenty of people to help you, and so forth. Uh, and so it's it's actually got great spiritual applications. And it's so universal and so popular because it's a story of life. Uh, everybody understands it. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I always say, insist in trying to explain how story or myth is crucial to our understanding of things, that we are actually in a story ourselves, that our life is both a life story and a life journey. So we, you know, it's a story which is a journey. So if you know from the microcosmic level, our own individual lives also follow this pattern. Um, so you, you mentioned that you give retreats on the hero's quest. How, in a really specific sense, would you say that for, to each individual that they are themselves on this hero's quest? And what does that mean? How how does it look? And what does it entail for the individual person? Right. One, one of the stages in the hero's quest is after they take the step of faith, uh, they begin the next phase, which is called allies and enemies, where the hero begins to find who his true friends are. There are other people who've also stepped out on the, on the journey of faith, and he also begins to identify his enemies for the first time, the ones who oppose him. Okay, And we see this in Lord of the Rings, where um, Frodo sets out on his own, but soon Sam, jo Sam joins him, and Pippin and Mary join him, and, and the fellowship comes together. Um, and But they also begin to identify their real enemies at that point. Right. The phase after that is... Um, Called the, it's called the point of no return, if you like, um, the first climax of the story when the hero says, I've committed myself, I can't, I, don't, I want to go home, I don't want to do this anymore. This is proving to be quite unpleasant, it's not fun, it's not an adventure anymore. There's a, there's a detail in The Hobbit, I think, where um, Bilbo says the, 
uh, an adventure is something which, when you're in the middle of it, you wish you were at home by the fire. Right. Okay. Right. Good definition. Good definition. So, and so all of these things apply. So when we're doing retreats and working with people on this, we'll say, well, what is, where, where are you on this journey? Right. So, I mean, well, let, let's look at it. I mean, obviously, the, the adventure, you wish you're hung by the fire. In other words, we'd rather not take up our cross. Um, exactly. so, so we'd rather not take up a cross and follow in Christ's footsteps. It's easier to stay in our comfort zone, in our own personal shires. But what about dragons? Yeah, I mean, you know, so obviously in, in in many of the heroes' quests in literature or in mythology, you know, the hero has to face monsters such as dragons. How would you say that applies to our own lives? Because very few of us, presumably, are actually going to come face to face with a well, a real life dragon. Should you we know, say? one of the things I find in pastoral work as a priest is how often people actually speak in symbolic or mythological language about the things that they're battling. And so you could be working with a family who who's struggling with a person with alcoholism, okay? And what do they say? Poor old Uncle George. He's battling the demon drink. Right. All right? right? Yeah. And so they use they use symbolic and mythological language. The giant despair in Bunyan. The yeah. giant despair. Um, and, and people will, talk, you know, they'll say he's really down in the dumps right now. Right. Well, okay, meaning he's in the slough of despond. Right. He's yes. he's down and down in the cellar. He's down in the dark place. He's in a real dark place. Okay, we actually use symbolic and mythological language all the time. Right. About the problems that we have, and we use, and therefore uh, we connect, and we know who the dragons are in our life. Right. We kn- we know where the the tempter is hiding. We know he's a snake in the grass. We know that he's sneaky, and we use that language. And venomous. And venomous and a, and poisonous, and therefore the mythology gives us language and symbolism and to ways to talk about these invisible battles of the spiritual. Hey, and as you say, you look at Christian iconography, right? I mean, the devil is depicted as a serpent or a dragon. So if we if we if we are actually finding ourselves affronted by confronted by uh, real real dark powers, they are demonic powers, and they in that sense they are really dragons yes and we're talking about myth in the modern world as well um and the hero's quest i'm not a real fan of the superhero movies i I get a bit tired of them but they're extraordinarily popular and what interests me about this is that the heroes invariably do the same thing they're almost always an orphan superman is an orphan from his own planet and he's adopted by i forget the names of aunt and uncle in kansas and and, and spider-man all the rest so many of them are either they're alienated figures they're orphans they're people who are looking for they're on this journey and um they always in the superhero movies they're always fighting a monster right well the only thing that makes it interesting is they actually have an adversary that's a genuine threat to them. I mean, if, if Superman was the only powerful thing out there and uh, he could knock the rest of us to pulp, uh, he wouldn't be a very interesting character. Um, and, uh, you know, he wouldn't be somebody that's actually applicable to anything. And he'll be, we, however powerful we are or the hero is, we have to, you know, we, we have enemies that, that uh, can seriously threaten to destroy us and i think that's crucial they are and these stories whether in their whether in movies or books or fantasy literature whatever they are they are so popular because they're so powerful i'll just finish by telling you um one of the incidents that happened when i was training as a screenwriter and the um the teacher explained that when he went to star wars when it first came out in the late 70s it's really popular everybody's in this uh, movie theater in london it was in england and it was in leicester square you know there's big theaters in leicester square they seat two or three thousand people he said i went to see star wars he says on the climax of the movie 
is when Luke Skywalker is flying his his uh, fighter pilot fighter plane down through the canals on the Death Star, and he has to drop a bomb down the ventilation shaft. Everybody remembers this; it's, it's the climax of the movie. And as he's going in, he's an eye. You remember, don't you? you see, you got there's he has three bombs. Well, he right? Do you remember once, that? He has, three, remember he has three bombs, uh-huh. and he misses with the first two. Yeah, and he's coming in for to, to drop the third one now or never. And he hears a voice in his in his head which says, "Use the Force, Luke." He's been using his autopilot. It's his mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Use the Force, Luke. So he pushes the autopilot away, and he uses the Force and goes with his inner feeling, the spiritual sense, or whatever you want to call it, um, and he pushes the button, and the bomb goes down, and the Death Star explodes. And my screenwriter teacher said, everybody in the cinema stood up and cheered. And then he says, they did not cheer because Luke destroyed the Death Star. They knew he was going to destroy the Death Star because it was that kind of a movie. Okay. Right, right. They cheered... Because he went with the force. Right. Therefore. He trusted the supernatural power. He did. And right. therefore, 3,000 people in that cinema said, I believe there's such a power of there's the good and evil. I believe that good and evil are in conflict. I want to be on the side of good against evil, and I want to go with the force. Right. Now, they didn't walk out of the cinema and say to their date, you know, I had a profound metaphysical experience at the climax of that movie. (laughs) Okay. But this is the power of storytelling that, in fact, through all these stories, these great values and these great truths are being implanted in people uh, at a very deep level. Well, before we before we conclude, uh, Father, I know you've written quite a lot on the Heroes Quest. Would you like to maybe just to g- give us the title of one or two of your books that, that touch upon this theme? Well, in Romance of Religion, um, I, I talk about the importance of story uh, for the for the Christian story and, the, uh, and so forth and, and, and bring out a lot of these themes. Uh, a lot of the other writing and work has been done online on my blog at DwightLongenecker.com. Okay. Well, Father Dwight, thanks so much for joining me once again. You're, you're always a, a valued and welcome guest on the Faith and Culture podcast. And I have been your host on the Faith and Culture podcast. And my guest has been Father Dwight Longenecker. Please do join me again next time. My name is Joseph Pierce. And until next time, goodbye and God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Faith and Culture with Joseph Pierce. Faith and Culture is a production of the Augustine Institute. For more information, please visit us at faithandculture.com.